can't prevent someone from being a foster care parent because you don't like their religious beliefs, right? Welcome to Coffee, Culture, and the Capital with Sophia and Greg. It has been a crazy week here at the Capitol in California. There has been plenty of bills. We're going to dive into four specific ones, talking about pregnancy resource centers, foster care parents, and why Christian foster care parents might be losing some rights. Yeah, to foster care at all. Yes. And we're going to talk about some education bills um, that is also kind of taking away parental rights. That's so right. we have a lot going on. We're going to talk about a win we had on a human trafficking bill. And we also have a breaking news story to share at the end. So right. stay tuned, follow along, and let's dive right into AB 710. Greg, do you want to give us an overview? Sure. Okay, AB 710 is, according to, they put a fact sheet together. This is from the legislator herself. Um, and it's Assemblywoman Pilar... Shavo. I'm always great with names. Um, and sh this bill is targeting what she says is exposing fake pregnancy care centers by launching a public awareness campaign uh, to make sure they're not putting out uh, or to combat the inaccurate information they're putting out. So these are, this is a, a campaign they want to put together, put state money into publicizing and exposing what they call fake uh, crisis pregnancy centers. These are the pro-life pregnancy centers that are out there in every one of our communities. Actually, there are 20% more uh, pregnancy centers, we call them uh, pregnancy care centers here in California that are pro-life, than there are uh, actually abortion clinics. That upsets them. And so... This is a bill really slandering and mischaracterizing all the good work that they do. Um, and so we brought, we had a press conference. Uh, we had uh, Alternative Pregnancy Care Center uh, right here in Sacramento. Uh, the director, Heidi Matsky, came out uh, with a bunch of her staff and a bunch of the women that she has helped over the years. Uh, we did a press conference just explaining the good work they do. And then they actually testified uh, in the Assembly Health Committee. And it was quite a hearing. <laughs> yeah, so the press conference and videos from clients that have been helped by pregnancy centers can all be found um, on our YouTube page. That's right. But why don't we check out a little clip of um, the actual hearing. And you're going to see the author of AB 710 make a lot of statements about pregnancy centers but they're lies. That's and right. Heidi Matsky, the director of Alternatives Pregnancy Center, was there to testify. And she was able to sit there and defend pregnancy centers across California and across the nation to stop the lies being shared about them. So we can check that out. Across California, crisis pregnancy centers outnumber abortion clinics by 20%. These clinics use deceptive practices targeted at vulnerable populations to draw them in by claiming they provide abortion services when they have no equipment nor capacity to provide abortions. Hello, my name is Heidi Matsky, and I'm the Executive Director of Alternatives Pregnancy Center in Sacramento. Our website, signage, and phone personnel clearly state that we do not perform or refer for abortion, and instead we provide unbiased, peer-reviewed education on abortion procedures so women can make informed choices regarding their pregnancies and their reproductive health. 
I see it as extremely dangerous that these fake pregnancy centers present themselves as medical clinics. To be clear, they are not licensed medical clinics. These groups provide few or no med real medical services. So these are not real medical clinics. The doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, medical assistants, and phlebotomists at Alternatives are all licensed medical professionals. Many have experienced or performed abortion in their past and are compelled to help others. While women are in their most vulnerable state, working to get reliable medical information and possibly referrals for or abortion care, they instead are met with shaming and fear tactics and fed misinformation about abortion. After living as a man, choosing to detransition, Jess sought us out, a place that wouldn't shame her, but instead provided the gynecological care she needed as a woman. Fake health centers, sometimes called crisis pregnancy centers, threaten reproductive freedom and prey upon our most vulnerable communities frequently targeting people of color and pregnant people with low incomes. At Alternatives Pregnancy Center, underprivileged women receive pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, prenatal care, full-service gynecological care and treatment, abortion pill reversal services, and post-abortive care. Every day, I see people who've been harmed by these fake clinics. Ariane was pregnant, struggling with addiction and homelessness. Alternatives provided comprehensive care and housing for her. Now she has a healthy daughter, has recovered from her addictions, and is mentoring other women. It's critical the information they get is factual and that the providers have your best interest in mind. Atoria is a patient of alternatives who was faced with domestic abuse, homelessness, and an unplanned pregnancy, only to be handed the abortion pill as Planned Parenthood's only option. Instead, at Alternatives Pregnancy Center, Atoria was provided abortion pill reversal services, prenatal care for her healthy baby, financial support, housing support, and emotional support. Mislead people about the services they do provide. Shannon is one of 177 women in the last two years who was denied care at Planned Parenthood because they would not choose an abortion and then came to alternatives for comprehensive medical care. And I take complete offense to calling them fake health centers. I take offense to you calling the licensed doctors, the nurses, and other medical professionals as fake. The women who had abortions and have gone through these centers and have used services of Planned Parenthood and the crisis pregnancy centers in attacking them is not appropriate. Yeah, so sometimes we, we sit in these hearings and we go, can you believe how blatant their lies are, right? And so the fact that we were there to had, you know, great witnesses to immediately point out the slander, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this particular bill is really egregious because this particular author isn't even doesn't even know about the pregnancy care centers mm -hmm. in her own district, right? She's in a district down in Santa Clarita, just mm -hmm. uh, Southern California. And Sophia, what did you find when you went to look to see what kind of pregnancy care centers down there were they licensed? Yeah. You know, as she claims that they're not licensed and they all do fake, mm -hmm. you know. Well, so across California, not all of the pregnancy centers are medically licensed. That's right. But the ones that aren't, they're not claiming to be. And they provide different resources. You don't need to be medically licensed to provide diapers for free 
two women. Yeah. So she obviously, the author of this bill, like you said, didn't do too much research and just painted a broad brush saying none of these clinics are medically licensed, which is false. Um, across the United States, actually eight out of every 10 pregnancy care centers are medically licensed care centers. Hmm. In California in 2019, um, Pregnancy care centers alone provided $14.2 million worth of Mom. medical services, diapers, help all these different things yeah. to men, women, and families in California alone. Wow. So she's not doing her research. And as you said, in her district, um, Assemblymember Schiavo, she, um, her district is over the Santa Clarita Valley area. So in her whole district, there's three pregnancy care centers. All three of those pregnancy care centers are medically licensed care centers. One of them has been serving in her district for 50 years. The other one has been serving women and families in her district for 35 years. And then the other one, they didn't have a date as to when they opened, but each of their websites have stated that they're serving thousands of women in her district. So either Assemblymember Schiavo is just completely unaware of what's happening in her district, or she's aware and doesn't want women and family and children in her district to receive help. And she says that these um, clinics, they lie about what they are, though. One of the um, pregnancy centers in her district, on their website, it clearly states their community health clinic medically licensed by the state of California Department of Public Health, specializing in pregnancy confirmation and helping those facing unintended pregnancy explore their options. Yeah, it's it's really unbelievable. Um, so, you know, this bill actually did pass the health committee on a, a partisan vote. Republicans voted no. All the Democrats voted yes. You know, so now it's, uh, I believe it goes to the appropriations committee, then to the assembly floor. So can you, um, a lot of times when bills are going to the committees, we'll tell you all, hey, yeah. give a phone call to this committee, do all that. Can you maybe give a little bit of insight to why we don't really always make phone calls to the Appropriations Committee or what kind of goes on in the Appropriations Well, committee? Appropriations Committee is, is dealing with the financial aspect of the bill. I mean, definitely you can reach out to those members on that committee. But at this point, we need to reach out to every member um, of the committee, of, of the entire assembly. So everybody's got an assembly member that represents them. They all need to know about the pregnancy care centers in their district um, and call them out, um, you know, find out about your own, uh, and expose them, let them know exactly what kind of services they do provide. Um, you know, if there's a bad actor out there, is there, if there's a, if there's a pregnancy care center that's lying to people, you know, we don't agree with that. They should be exposed, but they didn't name any clinics. They didn't, they named no one, right? It's just a, an accusation that nobody's following up on. And so it, it, yeah. So when somebody tells you a lie, uh, you gotta expose it. That's what the that's a Christian obligation. It's it's bringing light into the darkness, right? Mm -hmm. So light is truth. Yeah. So that's what we're doing here. Yeah. So if you know of any pregnancy centers in the district that you live in, call your assembly member up. Let them know how many women are being helped in their district by these pregnancy care centers, and urge them to vote no on AB seven ten on the assembly floor. All right. So next one, SB 407 by Senator Scott Weiner. This is the foster care bill we mentioned earlier. So do you want to dive into this a little bit? Yeah, we might have talked about this before. This is a bill that is, it's SB uh, 407. 
Um, you know, for years, uh, foster care families have been uh, required to take uh, training on how to help your kid if they identify as LGBT. Now, of course, their their only solution, their only option here is you affirm a kid's self-determination of his gender identity or his sexual orientation, and you have to encourage them, right? Mm -hmm. But there's only just been training, right? And uh, so I think a lot of Christians who are involved in pregnancy care centers you know, they go through the, the training of, great, I signed the, the dotted line that I received it. doesn't necessarily mean they have to actually uh, practice or encourage or violate their own faith by, you know, uh, encouraging LGBT identities and, um, you know, so in behaviors. But that's about to change because this particular bill is going to require that all parents, not just parents, who actually have a kid who's identifying as LGBT, but any potential foster care kid, uh, any foster care parent is going to have to swear allegiance and say, hey, if, if I end up having a child come out to me, then you're going to have to affirm whatever gender identity or sexual orientation they, they have and take them to their gender appointments, right? Mm -hmm. And you know what these gender appointments are like? They're not just socially transitioning kids based on whatever they decide they are, they're medically transitioning them, meaning they taking puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and moving on to surgeries, right, to transform their bodies to look like the opposite sex. So a lot of Christians don't want to have anything to do with this. They'll love the kid, they'll affirm the kid's value, but they're not going to affirm a kid into something they think is bad for them. And that's going to be a problem for Senator Wiener. Mm -hmm. um, and the yeah. bill, it's had two hearings now. We that's actually right. have a short little clip of how one of the hearings went. So let's watch yeah. that so all of you can kind of see what Senator Scott Wiener and the um, people who helped him put together this bill have to say. There are families that destroy the lives of their, of their LGBTQ kids. To become a resource parent, there's a set of criteria that one must meet. This includes the ability to demonstrate an understanding of the unique needs of LGBTQ youth and the capacity and willingness to meet those needs. If the prospective caregiver cannot meet those needs, they should not be approved. We don't know which youth are going to be gay or non-binary or which children will come out. Therefore, we must ensure that all caregivers are able to meet the needs of all children, which SB 407 will do. We also know that sexual orientation and gender identity evolve over time, and families caring for any foster youth in this state should be prepared for that reality. Right, so if a 10-year-old is placed and then a year later they come out as LGBTQ, what do you do then, right? If we're looking to set aside, we're going to put the straight kids with the straight family, gender is, um, is on a spectrum. They could be straight right now and then they'll, they'll figure out their true identity and come out. And all resource families are currently required to receive training on sexual orientation and gender identity. But quite frankly, it's not enough. And LGBTQ foster youth are being re-traumatized every time they are placed in a home that is not accepting or affirming of their identity. So the issue with this is the claims they're making is that if it's a Christian family that doesn't want to affirm this ideology, the children are going to become homeless or traumatized or kicked out. And 
maybe there is some situations that are like that, but that's not what we believe or support. And as Christians, we know if you have a child that's going through this LGBTQ plus ideology, the answer isn't to throw them out. Absolutely. The answer also isn't to affirm them. The answer is to love them right. and help them through this and get them the help they need. But they're claiming that if you do not affirm a child in this, and as Greg mentioned earlier, affirming a child in this can mean taking a young eight-year-old girl to go get testosterone so she can transition into a male at eight years old, which they mentioned gender is fluid. They said that, right? What we just saw, they said it well, fluid and Not just changes. gender, sexual orientation yeah. is now fluid. And now, it, wait, I thought... Yeah. I thought... <laughs> People's sexual orientation was was there from birth. Haven't they been arguing that forever? And now, uh, and now that's not the case, right? It, now everything's fluid. I mean, it, it's it's interesting that member of the uh, the Senate. She was saying, you know, they might find their true identity. They they might be cisgender, meaning they're heterosexual now. But then they might later find out their true identity, which would be you know, a gay or lesbian. Well, how? What if it happened the opposite way? What if the kid thinks he's LGBT, but their true identity was actually they really were heterosexual, right? So why are you affirming whatever a kid comes up with, right? I mean, obviously, if it's all changing, you never want to affirm the hetero normal sexual desires or attachment to your own body. It, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No, but it has now passed through the Senate Human Services Committee, and yeah. also it just passed through the Senate Judiciary Committee. So it is heading to the Committee on Appropriations, and then we'll most likely see it on the Senate floor. So I just want to make one more point about this. I was in the Judiciary Committee a couple nights ago talking about the because this is illegal. You can't. There are there are Supreme Court cases that say you can't prevent someone from being a foster care parent because you don't like their religious beliefs, right? The state doesn't like that belief. But here's what Senator Weiner is saying. Well, we're, you can believe whatever you want. We're not, we're not telling you can't believe, but you've got to affirm. So you, so you Christian, yeah, you can believe that, they're, that uh, you know, gender is based on biology or sex is based on biology. But when it comes to the kid, you have to verbally affirm something you believe to be immoral or wrong. So the... If you're, you can't force people to say words that they don't believe or do actions that violate their religious beliefs, right? So that's what the big debate's going to be about going forward. Yeah, so it's time to call um, your senators and urge them to vote no on SB 407 when it hits the Senate floor. Um, a lot of people keep saying, how did we get here? How is California like this? Because our legislators aren't hearing from us. And That's right. calling them doesn't necessarily mean they will always change how they vote. But if they have enough constituents calling them and telling them to vote a certain way, they're smart enough to realize they work for us. That's right. And so we need our voices to be heard. Absolutely. So those were two tough ones. But we do have a win we're celebrating. SB 14. Um, we've been... Posting a lot and talking a lot about SB 14 over the past couple months. This is the bill about human trafficking. So do you want to give us a run through on this bill, Greg? Yeah, I mean, this particular bill was introduced last year by uh, Senator Grove mm -hmm. out of Bakersfield. And she did it in conjunction with two other legislators who were Democrats. Um, so it's a bipartisan bill. Uh, 
And the other Democrats, um, I thought I wrote their names down. Here they yeah, are. Uh, Anne Caballero and Susan, Susan. Rubio mm-hmm. both co-sponsored this bill. And what it does, I'm not sure anybody, most people realize, but human trafficking is a felony, but it is not considered a violent felony. It's not considered even a serious felony, which that means is... It's it's a felony, but uh, because it's not serious or violent, it doesn't the uh, three strikes law doesn't apply to it. Meaning, if you're a repeat offender, um, uh, the 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 punishment uh, doesn't move up, right? If you come back over and over, like three strikes law does. You, I mean, if you do three felonies is, that are violent or serious, you could be in prison for the rest of your life. But so. When it's when it does not considered serious or violent, that means they're all the you get convicted for uh, human trafficking, but you can get out on all kinds of credits. They can actually cut your sentence in half, and we see that's what's happening. They're convicting human traffickers, and then they're out after a few years, which is a disaster. So this bill, what it does, well, this is what it started out as. It was simply going to make human trafficking of minors and adults a serious felony and a part of the three three strikes rule. Now, it, it surprisingly, it passed by five votes saying yes this year, even though last year it died. But they only would, they changed the bill and they said this is only going to apply to uh, people who have been human trafficked who are minors. So... The, the, it was narrowed a bit, but, you know, it's it's a good start. So Yeah, so in the hearing, it was about a 45-minute hearing for this bill. Right. And like Greg said, it did pass the Senate Public Safety Committee on a 5-0 vote. And um, Senator Shannon Grove, she had two great witnesses That's come right. to testify. One of them was the um, former Alameda County District Attorney, Nancy O'Malley. And the other one was... Brianna Williams, who actually um, was human trafficked herself, and her sister, she lost her sister due to human trafficking. So why don't we um, check out the clips that they testified that honestly probably persuaded the senators to vote in favor of this bill. I think so. All right, so here is the district attorney. Uh, I've recently retired as the district attorney, but I'm still involved in the work combating human trafficking. Human trafficking occurs when there is involuntary servitude, or what we now commonly call modern-day trafficking or slavery. Those are terms used by President Obama and President Biden when they declared January Human Trafficking Awareness Month. In my 39-year career, I know that human trafficking is one of the most destructive crimes that exist in this world. Destructive to the psyche, for sure, and for sure, to the bodies of sex trafficking victims. While all 50 states have now reported human trafficking, California, and particularly the Bay Area, Los Angeles, and San Diego are hotspots according to the FBI statistics. We see victims being brought here from Los Angeles primarily to Oakland. They're between the ages of 15 and 21. They don't know what city they're in. They don't have a recourse to get away from the trafficker. Research shows us that there, the percentage of traffic victims, the higher percentage are people of color, and particularly in the Bay Area, Los Angeles, and San Diego, according to the statistics, the highest percentage of traffic victims are African American girls. 
Research also shows that the high percentage of women and some men are brought here from the Unite from other countries with a promise of a judge job, but when they get here, they're immediately put into servitude and are forced to either work in labor without pay or they are forced into the human trafficking, sex trafficking. We're now looking closely research through the Heat Institute and other bodies of, of research looking at the high incidence of disappearance of First Nation or Native American girls who are disappearing at an alarming rate to indicate whether or not they are linked to human trafficking. We believe it's true. According to the San Diego study, there was a, they identified a minimum of almost 2,000 victims of human trafficking in one year in San Diego County. And the average age of entry for those individuals was 14 to 15 years old. The study also found that the underground sex tra economy, the uh, human trafficking, is an estimated $810 million in annual revenue. In the 26 years since I've been working on this issue, as Senator Grove said, uh, I have either prosecuted or supervised prosecution of now 850 human trafficking cases. There's a commonality amongst traffickers, and this is important for uh, the, the request that human trafficking be identified as a serious felony under California law. The commonality is that the act involves severe psychological manipulation. It is, there is intense physical abuse. There is torture used by traffickers to gain compliance of the victim. Oftentimes, what we've seen is that there have been men brought in to gang rape the victim to get her into compliance before that she's put out on the street or on the internet. Traffickers generally remove their victims from a place of familiarity, so even if they wanted to escape, they could not, just as we've seen in Oakland. Generally speaking, traffickers have a lack of care or compassion or concern for the victims and are using them solely for financial gain. Human trafficking is one of the most egregious crimes inflicted on the most vulnerable victims in our society. And I urge you to vote yes on this bill. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable that this is rampant mm -hmm. uh, in our, our cities. And, you know, and the fact that we don't treat it seriously uh, sends a signal to the criminals mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not that bad, of, bad of a thing, right? And so, you know, when we want to stop human trafficking, we have to throw our resources. We have mm -hmm. to make our laws just, and so that the punishment maxes the crime, right? Yes. So let's hear from um, Brianna Williams about her experience and her sister's experience. Uh, I. Good morning. My name is Brianna Williams. I'm a survivor of human trafficking here in Sacramento County. I stand here today to express my unwavering support for SB 14. This bill is not just a piece of legislation. It's a beacon of hope for those that have been victimized by human trafficking. It is a testament to our collective commitment to protect and empower the most vulnerable members of our society. During my childhood, as a teen, as a young teen, I was trafficked throughout, um, sorry, throughout California. I was beaten and brutalized by my trafficker on a daily basis and suffered unimaginable physical and emotional trauma. After my escape, I did not give up. 
I fought back with all my might, and with the help of several people, including my mom and organizations like Love Never Fails, I managed to escape the clutches of my tormentor. I am now the owner of two businesses, and my life's mission is to advocate for others. My story is a testament to resilience of, humans, of the human spirit, but it is also stark, a stark reminder of the horrors of sex trafficking. We cannot turn a blind eye to the scourge that plagues this society. We must take action to prevent it from be happening time and time again by the same perpetrators. Yesterday was also the one year anniversary of the tragic death of my little sister that has shaken my family to its core. And this is my little sister. My, uh, my 23-year-old little sister, Blair Mosley, was also sex trafficked, and it caused her to have a mental break after, traffickers, um, after her trafficker and others brutally raped her. She returned to a childlike state, and on April 24, 2022, she unknowingly walked into I-5 Highway here in Sacramento and was struck and killed by a car. Blair was one of the most amazing people I know. She had dreams to become an attorney and open a restoration home for the unhoused. This tragedy is a stark reminder that the devastating impact of sex trafficking can have on individuals and families. It is a reminder that we cannot afford to be complacent. We must do everything in our power to prevent such tra tragedies from happening again. So I urge you to support SB 14. Let us send a clear message that we will not tolerate sex trafficking in our state. Let us stand together in solidarity with those who have been victimized and let us work together for a brighter, safer future for all. Thank you. That's hard to watch, but that's what, unfortunately, these legislators need to hear. As Greg mentioned earlier, this bill was killed last year. So it passed through the Public Safety Committee this year, but that doesn't mean the bill is law yet. It's now going to go to the appropriations and then it'll hit the Senate floor. So don't think that this bill is just going to easily pass the Senate floor as last year it was killed in a committee. So call your legislators, call your senator, and urge them to vote yes on SB 14. That's right. I mean, actually a bill just like this to make human trafficking for a minor a serious felony mm -hmm. Um, was killed in the Assembly Public Safety Committee. These public safety committees are hell-bent on loosening up crime, uh, penalties against crime, um, and they are letting an injustice and stuff like this happen. And, you know, they've been doing it for years, and they haven't had a whole lot of pushback. You know, it's about time that stops. So. Yeah, and this is just testimony to... Um, what happens when people do call their legislators and to senators like um, Senator Shannon Grove, the bill was killed last year. She didn't give up. She kept fighting. And when she was um, giving her opening remarks about the bill, she did mention that 1,300 individual letters were of support were sent to her office. And so people calling makes a difference. Her having those numbers to let the legislators know that she alone has re received 1,300 letters of support, yeah. it makes a difference. So make your voice heard. And then the last bill we're going to talk about, AB 1078. Yeah, we yeah. posted a little bit about this bill yesterday. So some of you have maybe seen this on our social media. It was introduced by Assemblymember Corey Jackson. And this bill kind of infringes on parental rights, education, school board rights. So do you want to dive into it? Yeah, well, the... The bill before it was amended just most recently, it more or less said that um, 
parents who are going to school boards and objecting to some of the books that they're finding in their elementary school, high school, junior high libraries that are pornographic um, and any other objectable material, um, that can't... Uh, individual school districts aren't going to be able to remove objectionable books anymore without getting approval from the state uh, board of education. So it's really saying, hey, local school board, you're not in charge of your curriculum anymore. Uh, you're going to have to get the state approval if you know your particular school district changes or pulls any books out of circulation because it's so mm -hmm. offensive to parents and, and, uh, and to the kids. And so... Uh, the bill was amended, um, and we haven't seen the amendments yet. It looks as though uh, some of the, the most egregious parts were taken out, but we had a hearing anyway yesterday, and it seems as though the, the author of the bill is you know, slandering these parents, mm -hmm. calling them white supremacists, mm -hmm. um, saying that you know, this is a, a part of a bad part of Christianity, um, and so it's, we're going to show you some of the clips, but it's really outrageous what this guy is saying about parents who are just upset about some of the books. Now, he's claiming the books that we're upset at are, are books about um, our history or uh, books about Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, I don't know of any school district that's ever objected, at least in California, to books about Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, he's a part of our history. He had great things to say. <laughs> Nobody objects to him, yeah. right? He didn't name the school district, but that's what he's claiming. But in fact, what's happening is that people are objecting to pornography. Um, and so, you know, he but he throws it all, everybody into the same bus. Any banning of books mm -hmm. is, oh, you're banning books about... You know, things like, you know, the civil rights movement. So that is blatantly untrue. And mm -hmm. so we're, we'll try and point that out. But let's yes. let's watch some part of what the video is. Yeah, and before we dive into his okay. video, I just want to make clear, Assemblymember Jackson, he did state in part of his opening that what really inspired him to do this bill or to present this bill was because good books are being banned. I just want to make clear, books, first of all, aren't being banned Parents want pornographic books removed from their school libraries. Some schools that have five-year-olds in it. This isn't banning of books and not allowing books to be sold in California. That's right. So I just want to make that clear before we dive into what Assemblymember Jackson had to say about basically parents who don't want their 10-year-olds reading pornographic material. A, B... 1078 is a bill um, that uh, intends to combat the uh, national uh, Christian white supremacist movement, which is aims to ban books, school curriculum, um, and even more in our schools. And this issue is quite, makes people uncomfortable. It's a tough discussion and it's a tough issue and a lot of it, I think, is due to the uh, misunderstanding of uh, what people mean when they say white Christian nationalists. And so I want to make sure that people understand really the definition 
to hopefully put more people at ease that if the shoe doesn't fit, <laughs> uh, then uh, no one's talking about you. Uh, we're really talking about the radicalization um, of the Christian faith to, um, quite frankly, um, draw upon people's angers, economic angst, uh, people's um, search for additional resources, um, and drawing upon people's biases uh, to really achieve and use that anger to achieve a political objective. So, what, is, hey, what does that mean? Uh, we're, who is a white Christian nationalist is someone who draws upon biases mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, people's anger, uh, they're, you know, they want resources, and then they use that anger to, you know, to a political end. It's like, isn't that the definition of any political activism? I mean... Yeah. You, you, you get angry at something, and then you want to do something about what the government's doing. Oh, but if Christians are doing it, mm -hmm. they're white, you know, racist nationalists. Mm -hmm. Not even if Christians. He <laughs> said anyone that doesn't want books, pornographic books, in their schools are part of the Christian white supremacist movement. Anyone. So he really dives into that, but ultimately this bill, it did pass five to two on a party line vote in the Assembly Education Committee. It's going to head now to the Appropriations Committee, and then we'll probably see it on the Assembly floor. So it's important to call your Assembly members and urge them to vote no on this bill because ultimately it's taking away um, local control over curriculum and books. And what's the point of having a school board in these districts where parents can go to these school board meetings and have these open communications, if they can't do anything, their hands are going to be tied. Yep. And so we're seeing this happen across California. We're watching parent groups pop up across California. And um, in Southern California, in L.A. County, a parent group, they found all these books that have pornographic language. And so what they did is they went through and they informed their community. You can actually see it here about certain books. So um, I'll talk a little bit about one of the books and then maybe you can go into the other one. Okay. But so The Bluest Eye, this was a book they found. And so they posted on their social media, informed parents of BUSD, that this is in three high schools in their district. And they posted that this book, it contains things about prostitution, incest, orgasms, Sexual dreams, homosexuality, sodomy, masturbation, rape, nudity, molestation. And they talk about this book. It says the N-word. It says the F-word. It says all these different things. And it's in their library, in their high schooler's library, where a 13-year-old can receive access to it. So you can see here, they also did another post um, in the bottom corner where they talked about, let's. here's our school board meeting. Let's go talk to our um, school board members and tell them, hey, this is these books are in our district. Is there any way we can remove them? Again, they're not banning the books from California. They're removing pornographic materials from their children's school libraries. 
And so they went to the school board meeting and they were able to talk about it. But this bill is going to tie the school board members' hands and not allow them to make decisions on these things. And it will get sent to the State Board of Education. So that was that bill you, or that was that book. Yeah. I mean, there's also books being put into elementary schools. Mm -hmm. And here, just to give you an example, uh, If I Was Your Girl, right? That's a, a book, a, a story about a, a transgender teen um, that after being bullied and beaten at a previous high school, uh, he goes and lives with his father in a small Tennessee town, you know, and included in this story is... This is elementary school. We're talking first, second, third graders. You're introducing issues such as sexuality and gender identity at the core of the, uh, the story. There's all kinds of strong swearing, uh, sexual touching and kissing and some nudity. There's an attempted rape, right? Do you want your first graders reading books about rape? How is that age appropriate, right? And so here are... Are there, are there, do you listen to your, do you not monitor what your own kids watch? Everybody does if they're good parents. You don't let your kids, you know, wander wherever they want on television. There's all kinds of restrictions. Is a restriction a ban, right? <clears throat> so it's ridiculous. And for this uh, particular legislator to slander and put everybody into one category as racist uh, and it's just, it's beyond the pale is what it is. And so parents, we cannot put up with this. This legislator needs to be called out publicly. He's from the Riverside area. Um, and, you know, if this, did parents really realize this was the guy they were electing? And so this bill can't go any farther. Everybody's going to need to speak up. Both Democrats and Republicans Everybody agrees young little kids shouldn't be exposed to sexual material. That's what pedophilia, folks involved in pedophilia do. They want to lower the inhibitions of young little kids. And how do you do that? Well, you show them pornographic material so they feel are easier to manipulate into sexual activity when they're little kids. Step one of grooming. Exactly. But, and so, this is also maybe, hopefully, a wake-up call to some parents. You might think, oh, my school district doesn't have those kinds of books, and my child doesn't have access to it. Well, have you checked? Yeah, Are you checked. sure? And, unfortunately, even the school district that these books are in, it's in a small little town, these high schools and elementary schools, and a lot of Christians live there and weren't unaware until someone dug through and found them. So... Look into what your child's doing, especially, or what your child has access to, especially if they are in a public school. I mean, I went to a public high school, and I loved my experience, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot going on, and if you have a child in public school in California, you can't be a hands-off parent. You have to be heavily involved. Absolutely. What's going on. So, we did say we had a breaking news story to talk about, so why don't we wrap up with that? Um, It kind of... It's about two California teachers were required to hide their um, students' intentions to change their gender from parents. And so they are now suing their school district for policies that were forcing them to lie. So do you want to give us some information on that? Yeah, so we've had several around the state teachers saying, you know, enough with this. We are not going to lie to our students uh, there was another case in the Riverside area where a teacher was required to lie. 
um, about a kid's gender identity at school. So that you had to use pronouns, the, the kid's preferred pronouns at school, uh, but when talking to the parents, you had to revert to the kid's uh, you know, original pronouns and birth sex. Uh, and so that is what has happened. This is down in the Escondido Union School District down in the San Diego area. And I just want to read you parts of this lawsuit. It is really that concerning. Um, and so this is a, a K-8 uh, school district. Um, and they're implementing a series of new policies on the treatment of transgender and gender diverse uh, students, right? In elementary and uh, junior high school. And those policies force teachers to aid in a student's social transition by using their pronouns or specific gendered uh, specific name as, a, as requested by the student during school, right? But when speaking with the parents, they have to actively uh, alter that information and hide it, hide the information about a kid's gender identity from the parents. That's what the policy says. Um, and the, the crazy thing is that the policies in all the elementary school and middle school, the teachers must, and I'm quoting here from the lawsuit, unhesitatingly accept a child's assertion of a transgender or gender diverse identity and must begin to treat the student immediately according to their asserted gender identity. There is no requirement for parents or caretaker uh, agreement or even for them to uh, be in uh, to know about this. Mm -hmm. uh, there is also absolutely no room for discussion polite disagreement, or even questioning whether a child is sincere or acting on a whim. Um, and so that's what these teachers are being put in. This, they, they have to actively hide the gender identity, right? From, from and these, there's a couple teachers here who, um, they're actually award-winning teachers, two middle school teachers um, who are filing this lawsuit. And they said that they are morally uh, and religiously, they know that a, the complex issues of gender dysphoria and gender identity are not issues best left for children to figure out on their own uh, with no parental involvement whatsoever. So they said, you know, we want an accommodation for our religious beliefs. We do not want to deceive parents and our, our faith says we are not allowed to deceive parents, right? And so please provide a religious accommodation. And the school district said, no, we cannot do that. And so they have filed this lawsuit. Um, and uh, hopefully they're successful, right? Because this is happening not just in isolated areas. This is happening all over the state. Mm -hmm. uh, the Department of Education here in California um, is giving out wrong information saying the law requires uh, that, ki that kids have privacy rights from their own parents, which is not true. Um, and so, as you know, we've been inter we had uh, support a bill this year called uh, AB 1314, mm -hmm. which was going to, uh, Bill Asaley had introduced the bill along with uh, the minority leader of the Republicans, uh, James Gallagher, and the policy simply said that if a child has come out at school as a different gender that's on their birth certificate, then parents have to be notified. Just like they're notified 
whenever any other thing of significance happens with their own child. Now, that bill didn't get a hearing, but we are moving uh, to start introducing policies at a local level in school districts to mandate that parents are notified if kids are socially transitioning at school. And we'll be eventually um, pretty soon releasing all that information on That's how right. to put these policies in your school board. Um, so stay tuned, follow along. We're teaming up with Real Impact and Capital Resource Institute and just different groups across California. That's so right. stay tuned on that. But I do want to emphasize something you mentioned um, in this lawsuit. It says... Um, the teachers, there's a policy it's, um, it states they have to follow that says revealing a student's transgender status to individuals who do not have a legitimate need for the information without the student's consent is prohibited. And then the policy continues to say parents or caretakers do not have a legitimate need for the information. So now it's saying, parents, you if your child wants to identify as a different gender, play on the opposite sex sports team, use the opposite sex bathroom, is going through these changes, you don't have a legitimate need to know for what your child is going through. So these teachers were told, oh, they have to follow that policy. But in their own board policy manual, That's it right. also states that being dishonest with students, parents, guardians, staff, or members of the public constitutes inappropriate conduct. So are they supposed to be dishonest with the parents or not? Exactly. I mean, what, what, what do you think happens when schools start lying to parents? What happens to relationships, in any relationships, when lies are introduced? Trust breaks down, you know... We, we cannot put up with any government agency uh, lying to us about anything, right? These people work for us. We're taxpayers. These are the public-supported organizations. You know, we can't just do nothing and be silent and, and just go along with lies. You know, our obligation as Christians is to stand for the truth. And when you stand for the truth, that means you've got to confront lies. You don't just stand there and go along to get along. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a lot of information and a lot of it was things that are hard to hear or can come across as discouraging, but don't be discouraged. We are here to continue to provide you with information on how to oppose certain things. And um, the fight's not over. The fight is just starting That's to right. fight against this. So if you're in California and you're living here, it's time to call your legislators on these bills. Um, you can find on our website at CaliforniaFamily.org. We have an action center where you could easily call your legislators by just putting in your zip code. That's right. Um, we provide scripts of what to say to your legislators on these certain bills. And even things that are happening, um, like this um, lawsuit we were just talking about with the um, teachers suing because they were being told to lie. We're even working on solutions to that. So stay tuned. Follow along on our website and our social media. We're constantly posting updates. Go on our website, sign up for our newsletter to get a weekly um, update about what's happening here in California. But the fight's not over. Keep calling. Keep making your voice heard. And right. Speak we, for the truth. Yes. Protect your children. Love your neighbor. This is all about loving your neighbor. Right? Yes, and God's already won the biggest battle, so don't forget that. But right. we will hopefully see you all next week.